Hello, welcome to the Cerebral Flex podcast. Uh, we're your hosts, Nam One Sakati and Jareth Blackstar. Good morning, Jareth. Good morning. How are we doing? Doing all right. Very Going good. through the motions. Going through the motions. Yep. Taking the bike to get some work done on it today. Oh, all right. All right. Very nice. So, it's going to be 80 out all weekend, so that'll be nice. Try well, no, I won't get it. In. I won't get it back till wow. like, next week. Fail. Yeah. You should have been better so, prepared. I have to lose some money and not get to ride when finally it's beautiful. <laughs> Maybe Biden will send you another stimulus check to cover the bill. Possibly. Oh, probably not. <clears throat> no. <laughs> yeah, I don't count on it. <laughs> All right. So today's subject, we don't have any fun news stories to talk about. So we're just going to jump right into it because it's pretty deep stuff. Today, we're going to be talking about... Uh, psychoanalysis and the forefathers of it. Uh, so we we're going to talk a little bit on Freud and we we're going to talk about his two students, Alfred Adler and Carl Jung. Out of Adler and Jung, Jung's obviously the more, uh, the much more, I'd say infamous of the two. Um, but Adler is a little bit more clinical in his approach, whereas Jung's a little bit more esoteric. So we're going to go into a little bit about them, discuss some of their theories, and hopefully enlighten you guys a little bit on uh, psychoanalysis. It's something that I enjoy a lot, and Nam also enjoys quite a bit. So, Mr. Nam Wonsikati, you want to talk about Freud for a minute? Sure. I'll give you a little rundown. Sigmund Freud, he was born May 6th, 1856, in the Austrian Empire, which is now the Czech Republic. Uh, he died September 23rd, 1939, in London, England. Um, he was an Austrian neurologist. He was the founder of psychoanalysis, uh, which is a clinical method for treating psychopathology uh, through a dialogue between a psychoanalyst and a you know, patient. Uh, he developed psychic structure of id, ego, and superego. So when you hear those terms, that came from Sigmund Freud. Um, he also had a sexual component to his theory um, where people pretty much did things uh, based on things like a libido um, and a death drive those are also terms and concepts he came up with uh, but he said those were the source of people's ills libido is a sexualized energy um, that creates erotic attachments and death drive is a source source of compulsive and uh, repetitive ha behaviors hate aggression um, neurotic guilt so all those things Sigmund Freud believed um, to be triggers for people to do things they wouldn't otherwise be doing or thinking. Um, he was considered the most influential intellectual legislator of his age, Sigmund Freud. So yeah, yeah. So Freud is obviously the most well known of the three because he kind of helped found psychoanalysis, um, and a lot of people like to talk shit about Freud because again, he was like one of the first of his time as far as it came to psychoanalysis. And um, I think it's easy to kind of criticize him because he was the first of his kind. Um, and we've obviously disproven a lot of his, his theories and stuff like that. Like a real popular one is penis envy among women. That's one that a lot of people like to criticize him for. Uh, but he does have some really decent uh, 
concepts and ideas like the super ego id um the death drive um and all these concepts that you're talking psychology didn't, 101 didn't he create the unconscious like wasn't he the originator of that i believe it was a philosopher that kind of conceptualized the idea but i he's the one who went into like the deep exploration of it and you could say discovered it um a lot of psychoanalysis and psycho or uh psychologists and stuff like that of the time were really into reading philosophy and stuff like that the whole reason they were into it was trying to discover why we do the things we do so they were like miniature philosophers in their in in and of themselves and you'll see that a lot with Jung. Jung was really into uh into Nietzsche and the death of God and religion and all that stuff. Um, well, it's all going deep into your mind, yep. whether you're going down a path of philosophy or psychology. So I, I see their paths crossing yeah. many times. And that's primarily what Jung and uh, Freud uh, broke up over was... Uh, the collective unconscious, wasn't it? It was, it was pretty much the collective unconscious. There was an event that transpired between Freud and Jung where... Uh, Young was, uh, it's in a movie, I forget the name of it, but essentially what happened was a book fell and Young was like, I knew that book was going to fall and Yeah, in a minute. It's going to happen again. Yep. And then a minute later it fell again and he, and that freaked Freud out and they had a big argument about like, well, Young yeah. actually said that it would happen. He yeah. said that it would happen again. Yeah. He said, I believe this is a supernatural event just to prove to you that this is real and this is a sign you should take it. And like, it's going to happen again. And then it happened again. And uh, Freud got all pissed and said it was just a coincidence. And that was the end of it. They split over scientific versus spiritual reasons. As, as most people do, you need both. You need yeah. science and spirituality. It's yeah. you can't have one without the other. Yeah. But yeah, Freud's biggest thing was libido. Uh, and again, I think he gets discredited a lot because a lot of what he talks about is sex and death drive and very like basic concepts that we would consider basic. But at the time you have to think nothing like that was, uh, was even being talked about or right. discovered. So all his more crazy ideas, um, get kind of discarded by modern day psychologists and psychoanalysts and stuff like that. Interesting things about Freud, once he discovered that uh, you had sexualized energy, the libido, he told his wife, and I've, I've looked up stories that contradict this, but it's a funny one. It was at 40 years old. He told his wife, like, yo, we're not having sex anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to nut again for the rest of my life. Because his, his idea and core concept was if you kept that libido in and you didn't release it, then you'd create like great works of art and you'd become more intelligent and stuff like that. And that's just uh, funny and demonstrably false. <laughs> well, I, I could see why there's an argument for lack of dopamine release to be a source of creation. Um, a lot of warriors back in like ancient wars and um, the Gauls, I believe, believed in it as well. This to, to, abstain from sex before battle because then you have built up intensity <laughs> probably like just 
sexual frustration really mixed with like no there's definitely something to be said about not constantly just blowing loads all the time but um to give it up from the age of 40 on that's no it's stupid that, like he, that's he went insane he went insane <laughs> yeah um another thing that he discovered a lot of that some people i think like to discredit him for that isn't necessarily true is he discovered a lot of um deep repressed memories because i mean psychoanalysis is all about the unconscious and he discovered what was happening in europe at the time was a lot of like sexual abuse of children and stuff like that and a lot of people like to discredit that and to be like no like he was implanting memories or he was making shit up about that but as we've proven throughout decades and decades like sexual abuse of children is is quite rampant and it's very easy to repress those memories and stuff like that because it's a horrific thing that happens to a lot of people so i feel like he kind of gets pushed under the rug and seen as like a, a crazy heroin addicted cocaine cracked out of his mind guy but he he just without freud like there's no psychoanalysis there's no young there's no adler there's no what we what we have today as far as uh psychiatry goes so there's the little spiel on uh freud if you wanted to know more about him uh we could maybe do a more in-depth episode about him but today's primary focus is going to be on his two students who disagreed with him that have very different yet similar ideas on how uh, the conscience operates. And the first one we're going to touch on is Alfred Adler. So, Nam, go ahead and take it away. All right, then. Uh, he was born in 1870. He died in 1937. Um, he was an Austrian physician and psychiatrist, uh, best known for what's called individual psychology. Um, he created the inferiority and superiority complex. So if you hear those, uh, he created those ideations. Um, and he believed that that formed the personality. So um, basically, like you have goals when you're a child, and then based on how you're treated, your birth position, whether you're an only child or um, a twin or, um, you know, you're the middle child or the oldest child, he had, you know, different um, things to explain that, as you see on the chart there. Um, but like, if you're an only child, you know, birth is a miracle and your parents have no previous experience. So you retain 200% of the attention from both of the parents. Um, you may become a rival of one of the parents he believed, and you can be overprotected and spoiled, as it says there. And um, over there, that their characteristics, they like being the center of adult attention, often has difficulty sharing with siblings and peers, and prefers adult company and uses adult language. And as an only child, I would say that's entirely true. I really don't like um, childlike conversations. I, I don't like to get involved in small talk either. I don't know if that's a part of being an only child, but I really, really dislike small talk. So I usually just stay away from gatherings because that's what they are. And uh, yeah. Um, he was initially a colleague of Sigmund Freud, as we've said. Um, he was a student and a colleague, and he helped establish psychoanalysis. Um, he was a founding member of the Vienna uh, Psychoanalytic Society. Um, he focused on looking at the individual as a whole. Um, he referred to his approach as individual psychology. So yeah, that whole individual thing is, is a 
his main thing, uh, you know, the individual whole of a person realizing your uh, uniqueness um, separate from the masses. Uh, he referred to this approach. Um, all right, so that anyway, uh, he also believed very heavily in the birth placement, as I showed you on the chart. But yeah, I thought it was pretty cool and practical. I like Ed Larian psychology just for the practicality of it. Yeah, it's a lot less um, woo woo. Yeah, when we get into Young, Young's very woo woo. Young is very like out there and complex, even though there's a lot of stuff that he says that I believe to be true. It's it's less provable, whereas Alfred Adler, he has a much more clinical approach that is just more practical. Um, so like for me, yeah. go ahead. Well, Freud, Freud, for instance, is just like overly sexualized. I think he yes. had a deep sexual oh, weirdness yeah. about himself. Like you want to have sex with one of your parents and like you want to your best friend, you you love them and you want to compete with them, <laughs> but also you want to secretly kill them. Like he was he was intimate with this uh, his nephew, John, uh, who is a year older than him. And that's what provided him Freud, the intimate friend model and the hated rival model. Um, but yeah, I think that was weird for Freud. And then the young, I mean, once he went to East, um, religions and studied Eastern religions and, um, got really supernatural is when he kind of lost me. But I think that like LaVey says in the, um, satanic Bible or whatever it's called, like he says that, um, you have to have a belief in some type of mythos, like some, you have to have some type of spirituality, otherwise you're lost as a human because that's innate in being human. Yeah. And in order to recognize your yourself and your carnal nature, like you have to have some type of mysticism about you, otherwise life loses its substance. And I think that that actually crosses with um, Jung and his approach of individuation and the um, link between the right and the left hemisphere. And that uh, message of, you know, you kind of have to see the color in life and you kind of have to um you know get back all these images you've lost throughout your life trying to be this over um intellectual or over um analytical person and being you know practical doesn't do everything you have to see the color in life you have to right. feel it you have to smell it it has to be part of you and i think that's what both of those people were talking about there but i think that yeah. that's real i think you definitely have to have some magic to your life like me, I have like maybe 0.00002% magic, but it's still there and I still recognize it. And it's very important. I have to retain that in order to stay human. Um, but yeah, I think they both are uh, young and uh, LeVay were both correct in really just in individuation. Yeah. And you can talk about that. I'm sure you know a lot about that. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get into young. <laughs> um, so you were an only child, so that was yeah. interesting for you. So I'm the oldest out of, uh, four. So mm -hmm. I can talk a little bit about the eldest child. So the, the fear of like be being dethroned by the next child, um, ha you have to learn to share the parent expectations are usually very high, often given responsibility and expected to set an example. True. All of that is for all those of you who are eldest children, I'm sure most people would agree with that. Um, you you have all your, your mother's attention. All of a sudden, another baby comes along. You kind of get pushed off to the <laughs> side. 
And then my mother personally with me was extremely strict with me and then progressively became more and more lax with each child because I, I was the test dummy. Like, all right, what's going to work with him? What's going to, to make him listen to me or what's going to make him completely like disregard me and rebel against me? Um, may become an authoritarian or strict. That, that is very true. Hang on. Hang on just a second. Um, Here's got, got to be authoritarian right now. Yeah, I got children interrupting me. <laughs> um, so you may become an authoritarian or strict. Feels powers his right. That's uncomfortable to admit, but that kind of feels true. And then he may turn to the father after the birth of the next child. I didn't have a dad. So uh, I never really knew my dad. So I didn't really have any type of father figure in my life. So I can't really speak to that one. But I would assume that would probably be true. And then as we continue on with second, middle, and youngest, because I came from a family of four, like those are all very, very true, I feel. And then give me just a second to deal with these children. Uh, yeah. Want to talk on this a little bit? Yeah, sure. So he thought that the um, uh, second uh, was the peacemaker. Um, there's always someone ahead of them. Um, they're more competitive. Uh, they want to overtake the older child. They may become a rebel, try to outdo everyone. Um, competition uh, can deteriorate into rivalry. That's what he thought. And then uh, the middle child, if you're sandwiched, um, you may feel squeezed out of the position of privilege and significance. So you may feel like you're not even noticed. And that's sad. Um, they're usually even-tempered people. They're like, take it or leave it. Um, they may have trouble finding a place. Um, and they might become a fighter of injustice, which I think is pretty cool. Which one are and we on? Middle. And then we're going to youngest right now. Oh, okay. So the youngest uh, has many mothers and fathers because all their older, all the older children are trying to educate them and show them the way. That would be so annoying. I would hate to be the youngest. <laughs> um, never dethroned. Uh, wants to be bigger than the others. Uh, they may have huge plans that never work out and they can stay the baby forever, frequently spoiled, which I don't like any of that. Nope. I think that would be annoying. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you have just one child and I have two and I can definitely see like it's very interesting because it's almost like I have oldest and youngest so I don't have second or middle at all and those both seem to be like very true and I think because my experience as an oldest child was kind of I don't know I took it real personal um, I try to overcompensate a little bit and I'm probably a little bit harder on my youngest as opposed to my eldest um but I, I can see especially with two that like the oldest and the second seem to be like kind of like lumped into one and then the middle and the youngest seem to be young lumped into the bottom with my youngest it's it's interesting it's an interesting dynamic and i think that a lot of the stuff that is on this chart is true um which means your your child, since you only have the one, will probably grow up to be just like you. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I hope she's a nicer person and like wants to talk to family and friends more. 
No, yeah. she's a more open individual and isn't callous. Well, you're also yeah. you're also very introverted too, so yeah, that probably doesn't lend to uh, the antagonistic part of you. So enough about me. Um, Adler, Ad- <laughs> also, <laughs> uh, believe the psychological situation of each child in the family was different, like we said, and that the child's opinion of himself, this is what I wanted to get to, the okay. opinion of himself and his situation determines his choice of attitude. So like your initial opinion of yourself, am I a good person? Am I a strong person? Am I a smart person? Like that is what affects everything. And that's like the basis of his entire individual psychology, which I think is fascinating. You know, and I think that's very true. I think past traumas and like, you know, anything that happens to you as a kid and what you witness is how you are for the rest of your life. Like you form in those years. It's so formative, which most people know, but I mean, it should be a no brainer, but the way he based his entire psychoanalysis on that, I think that's, that's why I prefer Adlerian psychology probably to the other two. Um, Well, and again, you got to think of it at the time too, like nothing like we, t- I think we take a lot of Freud, Adler and Jung just kind of like for granted, like, Oh yeah, that's comments and stuff. But at the time, like this was groundbreaking stuff. And if you really sit and you think about it and you dissect it, you start to just kind of get blown away that these guys were able to come up with these, these theories and these approaches and stuff like that. When he also said other uh, significant influences were like uh, parental attitudes, social mm-hmm. and economic position, gender roles. So like he really got in depth with what we're dealing with, like LGBTQs, you know, plus society, like what yeah. they're dealing with, which is like 50 times the hate of what, you know, minorities face, like racial minorities face. Yeah. So yeah they're, they're, they're such a small percentage and then they're so hated by a bunch of toxic males that it's like what <laughs> i wouldn't want to go through that for sure so yeah. definitely if my daughter turns out to ever want to be a different gender or, you know love the same gender i don't really i just want to protect her and i i think it's beautiful it, love it, all, love. it all comes down to personal choice and as long as nobody's hurting you with their personal choice then yeah why should you care and like i tell like super toxic males is like when they're like oh gay people is to give they use the f-bomb or whatever i'm like i think it's great because like look at san francisco i i read a statistic that there's like seven women single women for every single male <laughs> that is awesome that is really like, awesome like as a single male i totally promoted that Right. I mean, yeah. get out of the competition circle, man. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Especially because I believe it women out. out I believe there's two women for every male on earth. Like males are actually rare. That's why in like countries. I like thought Ryan, it was pretty 50, 50. No, nah, that's why like in countries, well, maybe it's in certain regions, but I know in like countries like China, like they really want to have like, males because there's there's so many females right yeah so well you also can't pass the name based on people's stupid belief systems names are passed with the male even though women do all the work and they carry the babies and they deal with all the bullshit and then they deal with us on top of all of it that's my feminist rant (laughs) i don't 
I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, Adler, he was really focused on looking at individuals as a whole. Um, the individual psychology, that's pretty much the Adlerian approach. There's different camps within psychoanalysis. You have Freudian psychoanalysis, Adlerian psychoanalysis, Jungian psycho psychoanalysis. There's other ones, but those well, are like the well, three. Well, Oh, Young is analytics. This he, is that's true. Where it diverged between psychoanalysis and psychoanalytics was young. This, this is true. So he had to change the word. This is very true. That's, <laughs> that's one thing you'll see if you ever read any of like their uh, their papers or their books or anything is like they they like philosophers, which is why a lot of people probably don't read philosophy is they're wordy as fuck for no reason. And that's why we're breaking it down because um, ain't nobody got time to read an 800 page book filled with a bunch of jargon that you're not going to be able to understand that you need a source and a dictionary open to read a sentence at a time. It is difficult. I do it because I enjoy uh, world challenges and I'm a wordsmith and I enjoy writing. So I know a lot of big words, but even I have to like pause and take notes and be like, what are you, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> Get to the point. We're getting to the meat of the subject. Well, writers often go crazy. A lot of there's a lot of uh, complexes amongst writers. They're, they're very weird. Like Stephen King was always weird in his interviews, or nope. he is, still um, is. Yeah, still very He's weird. Weird dude. There's so <laughs> artists in general. Yeah. But especially, yeah, when you're you're right, when it comes to artists, they're all, or writers in particular, they're, they're a little weird. Like you got Neil Gaiman, he's odd. Uh, a lot of comic book writers are freaking weird. Like Alan Moore and Grant Morrison, they're all like into fucking transcendental meditation and magic and tarot and they do crazy things in interviews. Yeah, it's weird stuff, weird stuff. But Transcendental I meditation isn't too crazy. No, it's the way they talk about it. Ah. <laughs> Grant Morrison's been abducted by aliens. Oh, well then. Yes, yes. Maybe we'll do a... Me too. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they stuck stuff up my eye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so is there anything else you want to talk about as far as Adler goes, or do we want to get into Young? Let's get all up in that Young. All right, let's get up. Young... From our tongues. All right. So go ahead. Let's give the people a little bit of information about Young, and then we're just going to jump right in. Here's the Wikipedia version. Uh, <laughs> Carl Gustav Young. He was born July 26, 1875 in Switzerland. Uh, he died June 6, 1961. Um, he was a Swiss psychologist and psychiatrist who founded analytic psychology. And in some aspects, uh, he was responding to Sigmund Freud's psychoanalysis in most of his work. Well, that's some people's thoughts. Anyway, uh, he proposed and developed concepts of the extroverted and introverted personalities. Uh, he is the one that coined archetypes and the collective unconscious. And that's really where Freud and Jung split. Um, what else? What else? Uh, he was influential in psychiatry, religion, literature related fields, uh, all those fields. Uh, he was a lonely child. This is where it gets interesting. And him and his father never reached full understanding. 
um, due to differences of religious beliefs. Uh, Young was uh, the spiritual one, and his dad was pretty much an atheist or agnostic. Um, and as a teen, he discovered philosophy, and he went against his family's strong tradition um, to become a minister to study psychiatry, which I thought it was odd that him and his dad split over this, even though it's a family tradition to be a minister. Why do you think it was odd that they split over it? Because his dad was the black sheep. So for his dad to not fully understand his child because his child was spiritual like the rest of his family, that to me is weird, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Again, Young is, of the three, Young is definitely the most uh, woo-woo and out there. I guess you could say, because he comes at things from a context of trying to understand religious and spiritual beliefs. Um, like like you said, as a teen, he discovered philosophy and he went against his family wishes of becoming a minister to become a psychiatrist. Right. Um, young, especially, he, that man loves him some Nietzsche. Um, young's favorite philosopher was definitely... Nietzsche, he has a whole seminar based on the book Thus Spoke Zarathustra, uh, which was Nietzsche's work that it was his greatest work. It was his magnum opus, and he spiraled into schizophrenic madness after he wrote it. The ideas of his book were so good and profound that it drove him insane, and he eventually died after it. Um, so Jung was really into Nietzsche, and he was really fascinated by the phrase god is dead um which a lot of anarchists and uh people of the social justice movements who like to hate on spirituality and religion they like to use it as like a battle cry but nietzsche was actually at the time because we got to think again when we're talking about these people we got to think in the context of their time uh nietzsche was actually mourning the death of god and he was less nihilistic than people like to term him. A lot of people read Nietzsche and they say like he's the founder of nihilism, um, which we could get into a whole sidebar about Nietzsche and nihilism and stuff like that. Um, but what Nietzsche was questioning for was what does man do once, especially Europe at the time, uh, loses God, loses religion, because now they're not going to be building great cathedrals and you're not going to have Michelangelo painting uh, great art pieces for the uh, the Roman Basilica and stuff like that. And what happens to mankind once God is gone and God is dead and they have to come up with their own moral codes and way of acting and such like that. And you really saw a crisis of that in Europe, especially after World War II. You have all the great French philosophers who were post-structuralists, um, postmodernists, as Jordan Peterson likes to call them, postmodernist Marxists, um, which we can get into. Uh, we'll get into Jordan Peterson a little bit here. But Young's popularity, especially right now, is actually probably due in part to Jordan Peterson because Jordan Peterson, I think, uh, would consider himself a student of Young and Nietzsche. They are two of his favorite people to quote in his lectures and stuff like that. Um, because Jordan Peterson very much feels like the West is being attacked because we have 
a bunch of debates on capitalism and how we're structuring society and there's been the death of god and mankind is questing after a new way of life a new meaning a new way of achieving the supermensch which is something that nietzsche coined the superman what happens after uh god is gone man has to become god which we kind of touched on a little bit in our animism episode um for those of you who are paying attention so uh jordan peterson very much feels like the west is dying because all the marxists are taking over and he likes to bring up Jung and nietzsche intermittently to to help uh give young men especially who feel like they're being uh attacked by the left for actually being held accountable for their actions uh he's kind of become like this odd figure who tells people to clean up their rooms and um uses young in like somewhat convoluted ways at times to uh describe personal responsibility um so i think that's why young has kind of risen to the forefront of a lot of people's mind who are interested in psychology psychoanalysis analytic thinking and philosophy and that's kind of why you're seeing a popularity of him um but i feel like a lot of people don't really explore the more spiritual aspects of his work so we're going to get into the collective unconscious the shadow the anima that's probably a concept that most of you have heard the most is the shadow and we're going to kind of talk about what all those different things mean so i'm going to pull up a little graph here and we're going we to also have to touch on the individuation process oh yes that is very important when it comes to young because yep. his thing is all about becoming an individuated person yep all right okay let me see if i can blow this up a little all right so when it comes to young he saw the individual as these two circles so you have your ego up here with your persona so that's your your conscious self the the self that you're projecting out to people all right that's why you have this is why we have this entire structure we have this big circle and within it we have three structures right three circles so your conscious self is your persona and your ego that's primarily what people are seeing at the center is the self all right and then in the unconscious realm when we get into the unconscious and we're talking about things that are driving us on an unconscious level that we might not be aware of we have the shadow the shadow is a lot of people like to describe it as that part of yourself that um that holds like your deepest darkest desires they like to talk about it in like a really like dark dramatic fashion yeah um, i i see it as the suppressed self that person yep. that can't get out ever since you're a kid i know i have one um but like you're just like held down like your yep. natural self is so squished down and then like um breaking bad you know, you just might snap one day and that all comes out and you just like, you know, you have to unleash that beast. Yeah. So breaking bad, in integrate it into yourself would be the healthy way to go. But, you know, right. some people breaking snap. bad is actually the perfect example of like a shadow flare up because yeah. you have Walter White. He is a decent 
man, you know, by all accounts, he's a teacher, he's a chemist. He, he gave up being part of a big corporation years ago to be a teacher because, you know, he, he didn't believe in the work, the work that they were doing. Um, and by all accounts, he's a good family man. And then just one too many bad things happen to him. And honestly, when he starts cooking, uh, methamphetamine, it is for like an honorable moral cause. He's like, I'm doing this not because, um, I want to do it. It's out of necessity. Like I need to make sure my family's taken care of when I'm gone. And then through doing that, his shadow self kind of rises up and he becomes this, he becomes Heisenberg. He becomes this, this evil pimp drug Lord guy who just destroys anyone who gets in his path and it becomes all about money and there's no way out. And that's actually like one of, I mean, Breaking Bad is one of the best written TV shows of all time. Uh, I'll fight you if you don't, if you don't agree with that. Um, but it's, it's definitely a great representation of what would happen to you if you let your shadow run rampant and kind of take over and you don't integrate it at all. Now, the shadows become uh, a big thing among people who are of the uh spiritual new age community they like to talk about shadow integration a lot and how to integrate it and it's also become popularized again by jordan peterson he likes to talk about the shadow and like the darkest aspects of it um he constantly likes to use the term uh you need to recognize what a monster you can be so that you can integrate your shadow and be a responsible monster in the real world which i think is really um dangerous and really really bad advice um <laughs> because yes obviously if you you sat down and you thought about it and you think about he likes to use commonly he likes to use nazis like recognize that like why were the nazis doing what they were doing like why like you're gonna say all these millions and millions of nazis were were evil people and uh, he, he kind of likes to like sympathize with them a little bit, which I don't understand. I don't think he's like as far right as people say he is or that he's a white nationalist or anything like that. Um, but I think that's a dangerous comparison to use because that kind of like comes into like the realm of a collective unconscious. Like, But I, I think he did hit on the, the thing, like how can a bunch of people be convinced to do horribly atrocious things? if right. not for this part of your personality that's hiding there. Right. I think that's really what he's trying to get at. And he just, I think he's trying he... to get at it, but he's getting the, the messaging and the answer to it wrong. And it misleads. Well, a lot. he just picked definitely a very offensive. If you talk about like slave owners, nobody's going to get that offended. Like you can talk right. about black slavery and people aren't going to be that upset. But if right. you talk about Jews in the Holocaust then everyone's hackles go up. You know, yes. or if you talk about like the genocide in China that Japan did or any, I mean, any of these where China, the Chinese dictator killed, which one was that? Mao. Yeah. Mao. He freaking slaughtered a hundred million, maybe. Yep. hundred million people. Think about that. Joseph anyway, Stalin. I'm going off. I'm going off the rails here. But anyway, yeah, yeah he was going, going uh, for the fact that we all have this suppressed dark uh ability and i've seen it in people like you know I've, I've seen people you'd think were just so nice be able to do horribly awful things so i mean i think it's buried with every person 
Yeah, I, I think it definitely varies to the degree. Uh, it varies to different degrees and different people. Um, but I don't think that, I think what a lot of people get wrong with shadow integration and Jordan Peterson especially gets wrong with shadow integration is they think of it as this dark malevolent, like these dark impulses that you have to have. And you have to recognize that you could be uh, a Ted Bundy and you can murder a bunch of women and stuff like that. And uh, you need to recognize that and somehow integrate that into you and you'll become a more individuated and uh, successful human being and you'll you'll maybe can be able to easily control that monstrous impulse in you that's not the shadow um you wanting to be you know you being able to sympathize with auschwitz prison guards that's that's not the shadow the shadow is not a hundred percent a holy dark like murderous thing like it's being misrepresented the yeah. shadow again it is that repressed part of yourself that you're hiding and that doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing any uh either like it could be like uh so i'm a manager at a corporation um so i have to put on a a fake face and a fake smile and i have to not talk about things that interest me uh for risk of offending somebody or breaking uh breaking corporate policies against talking about certain things. You have to be a robot. You have to be a robot. And what Young was saying when it comes to the shadow is that is, that's your true self. That's the truest form of yourself possible. Yep. And um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad, terrible Heisenberg who's going to go off the rail. Now what happens when you suppress the shadow is you do become a crazy repressed Heisenberg. That's why we want to integrate the shadow so we don't become it because Jordan Peterson does get it right. If you integrate the shadow, you're going to become a stronger, more individuated person, but yeah. it's not going to necessarily make you more dangerous. You're going to be more dangerous yeah. because you're more confident. And you have more knowledge of yourself, not because uh, you're going to recognize that you could have, uh, you could have been a slave owner and, yeah. and beat all your slaves and you're not doing that so you're a good person yeah like, i that, always had this philosophy yeah. my philosophy is be the same out of work as you are at work and if you're not at a place you can work where you can be both yourself and work then you're not at the right place you just got to keep pushing you got to push and sometimes you fuck up and end up homeless but i think uh you know if you're not doing that then you're going to be very miserable and you're going to have with the old school term neuroses, you're going to develop a complex. You're yep. going to get dangerous. Something bad's going to happen in your mind. So like I, I always joked at my last job I had, um, I'm, I'm always a jokester, always trying to make people happier. And, um, you know, some people were offended by this. Some people were offended that I would say things that I say, like just because I'm a very open person. So if I, you know, I might just say the truth and you don't like it or you think it's not okay for the business or whatever it may be. I've always been very honest and I think that's very um, healthy. I think people need to definitely integrate that part of themselves and bring it to the forefront of their reality whenever possible to stay focused on what's important in life. Right. And let's think of the shadow. Let's think of the shadow in a broader context. All right. Yeah. So we each have our own personal shadow that we're dealing with. Um, so 
the the shadow of the collective unconscious of of the Nazis was obviously like all the atrocious shit that they shit that they did. But let's take it in an even more modern context. Let's look at where um, Nam and I are from, America. America has not dealt with any of its shadow. It hasn't dealt with the fact that we committed a mass genocide against the native peoples of this land. It hasn't come to terms with the fact that um, we we brought people over here from Africa, from other continents, and we enslaved them. Um, it hasn't dealt with the fact that there's deep systemic racism embedded in the system. There is white nationalism embedded in the system. Um, we haven't dealt with any of these problems, and that's why you see our country imploding under all these pressures that we've had. We've had 9-11, we've had a collapsed economy twice, we've had coronavirus, and now you see all these people coming out over this past year in 2021, and we've had dozens of mass shootings on, on both sides of the fence. Uh, white people going and shooting up stores and people of color going and shooting up stores and businesses and stuff like that. Um, and that is what happens when not only we as individuals repress our shadows, but us as a collective whole repress our shadows and we don't come out and we don't say all the things that everybody's done wrong and reconcile yeah. those facts. And let's, let's, let's talk about that. Like why should black people or um, native Americans, especially why should they love this country? Because this country has never accommodated them in a way that they should or want to love the country. And then they get, aghast and offended when you like don't want to have a flag or you don't want to be super patriotic it's like y'all motherfuckers came over here and killed a bunch of people and raped a bunch of people and then enslaved a bunch of people and then redlined a bunch of people and stereotyped a bunch of people and then called them names and then you turn around and want us to like be all like we love you yeah what yeah that is not dealing with the shadow you guys need to like wake the fuck up like Wake up. There's a major reason why specific individuals aren't super patriotic. Like this country hasn't been very kind or generous to those that they dicked over. You know, you make some people walk the trail of tears and a bunch of people die, old people, children dying like. And then you turn around and stick them in reservations and then put oil pipelines through their reservations. And then you, you want them to wave your flag and say how much they love your country. And then you like stick black people in ghettos and like redline the fuck out of them and call them nigger for like how many years? And you're still fucking with us from like in the South. And you know, like anyone that looks black, cause I'm not even black, I'm mixed, but like anyone that looks black's fucked with and, and made fun of and called names. And then people say, Oh, racism's dead. We're getting so much better. How can you say this is a racist country? Like wake the fuck up, wake the fuck up, please. Yes. That's my rant. Deal no, with the I shadow. I agree. Um, this country needs to grow to shadow. How now? An interesting thing when it came to Nelson Mandela and all those African countries that um, were just brutal and and mean, and their governments were were awful to their people. How did they fix that? Everyone had to come forward and say, you know, they didn't try to hide it. The government didn't try and like uh, hide all the details and all the bad shit they done they came forward and they said everything that they had done wrong. All right. They, they were like, this, this is what has been done wrong. These are the things we've done wrong. This is how we're going to address these issues. And that's kind of how he brought peace uh, 
to Africa for a while. And that is that is what we need to do here. We need to come out and we need to not just uh, have, you know, members of Congress wearing African colors for a day to represent, you know, George Floyd and how not racist they are. We need to come out and we need to be like, this is what we've done. We've 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 completely destroyed the native people of this land. We treat them awfully. We we disenfranchised black people time and time again. Not only did we enslave them anytime they they got any type of wealth, we we've absolutely just destroyed it for them. Um, and we need to come to a reckoning with one another that like there is deep systemic hatred, violence, and racism. And until we do that, we're going to continue to have these issues. And that's how you can think of the collective unconscious and the shadow and the most broad of concepts. If you don't deal with it yourself, you're going to become, you know, this, this dark, bitter person who is a Heisenberger, God forbid, one of these people who's going and committing these mass shooting. These people aren't dealing with their own shadow. They're not dealing with themselves. And that could be for a myriad of personal and mental issues. I'm not trying to, to blame people one way or another, but this is the danger in not one enlightening people to these concepts and not and not um, having a broader discussion about them. Um, and then you have people like Jordan Peterson who are going out and they're talking about the shadow and the un collective unconscious and all that. And they're not really articulating very well what you're supposed to do with this and they're misrepresenting it. So that's kind of what I like to do with young and what we're trying to do is kind of bring it in layman's terms to you so that you can kind of have that discussion with other people in your life and kind of figure it out yourself. Um, we, so, we should definitely touch on the anima and animus yes, a little more. Yes. So next up in the uh, unconscious, because again, we got, we got the outer and the inner world. So the animus is the, the deepest part of the inner world. Um, for males, we call it the the anima. For women, we call it the animus. And that's kind of like the counterbalancing force in your unconscious. So for males, the anima is the more feminine aspect of them uh, of the unconscious, whereas with women it would be the more animus possessed side. Um, so that would be more male energy. Um, so it's interesting how he recognized that um you have this shadow and then also in the unconscious you have that that balance that yin yang balance because like we were talking about he got very into spirituality and eastern mythologies and in eastern mythologies there's a lot of discussion about yin and yang male and feminine energies and stuff like that that's why eastern religions typically not always but typically tend to uh be more balanced when it comes to to male and female energy because in the west a lot of our uh our monotheistic religions especially are all male dominated god yahweh jehovah um who's in islam muhammad <laughs> they're all they're all males there's there's no feminine quality to the spirituality is all primarily male dominated which is why Theoretically speaking, uh, the Western world dominates the rest of the world because it's all male energy. It's all it's all that Mars energy. It's all that Aries energy. Go to war. We are men. We we conquer. We we colonize. We don't yep. conquer anymore. We colonize. Um, we got to change the language on that so it's less offensive. 
but uh the anima no, and the animus i think i think colonizer is probably the the most proper and offensive term one can use yeah <laughs> i agree like that's so weird. what are your thoughts on anima and animus as you've i think that you've explored you know, them if you don't get in touch with your uh anima as a man um you're gonna be a toxic male you're gonna uh, disrespect women you're gonna disrespect people that have different views than you you're gonna be a very closed-minded bullheaded blowhard that thinks they're like god's gift and very toxic just steamrolling over people's feelings and thoughts and um yeah very very um apathetic to anyone's um anyone else outside yourself i think that's what happens when you ignore it i agree you have to be patient and kind and, and compassionate and love and if you lose that then you're losing a significant part of yourself yeah um again when it comes to peterson a lot of people like to point to uh an interview he did with a woman um i forget her name it might have been kathy newman but anyway, he went on Joe Rogan and he was talking about the animus and the anima. And he said that Kathy Newman was uh, animus possessed because she was being very combative and argumentative. And uh, she wasn't making a whole lot of sense in the interview. To his credit, um, she was just attack, attack, attack without any deeper thought into how she was attacking his stances. It was just trying to discredit him completely. And so he kind of cheekily said she was animus possessed, which meant that the male force in her had dominated her and made her um, less logical. Now, anima and animus are much harder concepts to grasp than the shadow because, again, we're getting into deeper and deeper layers of the unconscious. Um, and there's a lot of this stuff when it comes to shadow and animus, anima, and the unconscious is very hard to prove in a scientific context because – we don't necessarily know where consciousness comes from. We don't have a scientific method of proving it or proving its function or how it functions or where it comes from or anything like that. So that's why, especially when it gets to young and we're talking about all this, it, it can seem a little woo-woo and spiritual because it takes a certain amount of faith um, in the concepts themselves. Um, so to integrate the shadow and the anima would make you the most fulfilled person um, in yourself by trying to integrate and balance that male and female energy, trying to recognize the shadow and all that you would uh, become a more individuated person. Uh, the, the entire goal of young is to become an individuated person. Uh, you want to take a stab at what individuated means, Mr. Mr. Nam one Sakati. Sorry, I was reading something. What shot at what? No, sorry. I was totally you want to take a shot at what individuated means. Well, I mean, it's really just to find your own uniqueness again. Like, um, that was Adler just finding your whole individual self. Um, that's really the base of it. But, uh, I've been reading a lot about the whole hemispheres and the, um, was that called the coarsal colossum? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thing that's integrating both hemispheres and then the um experiments they did where they separated that and then they found that um your right hemisphere can't form words so they found that the left hemisphere is what speaking for you 
Right. And then that kind of proves that we're mostly in our left hemisphere when we're right. communicating and whatever, but like the right hemisphere is still with us. So it's like almost another person inside our head that's observing everything. And that's where um, I believe young thought dreams came from and that the dreams were trying to tell us through imagery because the right hemisphere can only speak in images. Um, that's how it's communicating to us. And if you uh, try to interpret your dreams through that filter, um, it'll really be healing for you, which I, I think is, is, I mean, definitely healing just the thought alone, just through the placebo effect. Because if you like think about it, like, yeah, I'm being too analytical right now, or I'm being too stressed out about something stupid, like your right hemisphere helps you with that. Your right hemisphere takes in all this stuff and all the stress, but the way it speaks is through making you observe what's important. I, I, that's how I, that's my conclusion from it is the individuation is really getting all the information your right hemisphere is collected throughout your entire life. And it like gives it back to you. And it's like, Oh my God, Oh my God. You know, like, cause there's so much you missed and so much that's been repressed. And then once it comes whooshing back into your life, you become a lot more complete of a person. I mean, if you want to rush that scenario, there's the stuff called five MEO DMT. No, okay. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it's, that's what it's about. Yep. Um, I find young again, I'm, I'm into the, the spiritual nature of things. So I find young the most interesting. Um, I think all three of them are valid and you need all three of them. Um, you, you, you can't have young without Freud's libido and Freud's super ego and the id. You can't have, Oh, wait, why the libido part though with young? Why the libido part with young? Yeah, I know so, he went celibate or isn't he the one he's the one that went celibate. No, like Freud he, went celibate. Freud went. Okay. So that makes perfect sense. So, all yes. right. Um, young actually does talk a lot about libido. Um, but he didn't see libido as nexus necessarily. And this is where they get like the terms get all like jargony and irritating because uh, Freud saw libido as sexualized energy, which Jung kind of saw libido as sexualized energy as well. But he also referred to creative energy as libido. And he was all about taking that creative energy and, and expressing it through um, delving deeper into yourself and exploring concepts like the shadow and the anima and the animus to become a more fully integrated person. So he believed to become like a fully integrated person that you needed to direct your libido in, um, you needed to direct your libido in artistic ways. Whereas with Freud, libido was just sexualized energy. Makes sense. Kind of. Um, so like Jung never completely disregarded libido. He never completely disregarded the sexualized part of Freudian analytics, but he went a layer deeper. Like he recognized that there was a layer deeper than that. And really, again, like we talked about before, the reason they split was over the collective unconscious. So, um, they really fought about the collective unconscious because Freud, at the time was like really big on the the um scientific nature of it and freud was going in a much more spiritual direction which was his inclination mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So um, I like Jung because he does the deeper philosophical nature. Freud was very, like Adler, very clinical in his approach, especially towards the end of his life, whereas Jung just continued going on and on and on and on, deeper and deeper. And uh, the, the fact hole. that he didn't go crazy is, is fascinating. Who said he didn't? Huh? Who said he didn't? I mean, he very well could have. Uh, well, I people... mean, what what do we call crazy? Like what, what Adler said, if you have a complex, something that you obsess over more than you think of okay, cool. in daily life. Yeah. Like if you're just distracted by something so much that you're thinking about that rather than actually living. Well, I think the complex. I think a lot of people... Um, I think a lot of people think Jung might have gone a little bit crazy later in his life because he wrote things like um, the Red Book and the Black Books, which was a, a lot about him. Jung was actually a really good visualizer. So a lot of people, they think one of two ways. Some people think in images and pictures and other people think in words. Some people can do both. Uh, I'm a person who can, and most people, if you really try really hard, you can do both. Um, but there's one that's like your primary and then there's like the, the secondary. So like I primarily think in images, I, I can visualize things, but I can also think in words. Um, but my normal mode, it kind of switches in between. Now you're not talking talk- in your head all the time. Huh? You're not talking to yourself in your head all the time. It depends. It depends on the situation. I can, mm-hmm. I can do either or, um, and I, I guess it kind of would just depend on whatever my mood is. Um, but then I have another friend who he doesn't ever think in images. He does not really good at visualizing. He only thinks in words and he only thinks in like, if he's thinking about something, he's talking to himself in his head. Um, and then I have, I know other people who think only in images and they don't really talk at all in their head, which that seems completely odd to me. Um, but young, he was very good at both, but he was very, very good at visualizing. So later in his life, he wrote, um, the red book, which is something he never wanted published. It was like his own personal journal slash story slash myth. He started drawing mandalas every day and they became more and more intricate. Um, he just started doing a lot of weird stuff. And a lot of people, I think they don't enjoy the more spiritual aspect of young, which is why they try to discredit him. And I mean, if you go into uh, New Age shops, I, I've gone to uh, the Theosophical Society that's uh, out near where we live. And they have books on Jung and stuff in there, which is he's the only psychoanalysis person on their shelves. So he's kind of been like co-opted by the New Age movement because he's hard to fit in ritual, but he's also you know, he's into psychoanalysis and he's very scientific in a lot of his methods and stuff like that. And that's what's the hardest thing about Jung is a lot of his concepts, like if you break them down and you think about them, like you can see them to be true, but there's no real, again, scientific method for proving it because we don't, we still don't understand where the conscious comes from, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Thoughts concerns no i think we touched on pretty much everything we wanted to today okay um so what i would say as far as young goes he is the hardest he's definitely the hardest of the three to read um just because he 
can be very jargony. So if you want to start with Young, I would start with his memoir, which was Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, which is what he wrote. Literally, he died while writing it. Um, and it kind of looks back on, it's an autobiography. It looks back on his life's journey and where he came from. And once you understand Young's upbringing and where he was coming from, then you will better understand his work because a lot of people, they like to start with uh, the book that's been popularized by Jordan Peterson is um, I'm forgetting the name of it at the moment, but um, it's volume number nine. Let me look it up real quick because it's irritating me that I'm not remembering this. Aeon. It's Ion. Ion and researches into the phenomenology of the self, which is where a lot of the concepts of the shadow, the anima, the animus, and all that stuff come from. Um, but it's a very esoteric text because he also talks about how Christ is a symbol of the self. He goes into uh, how the fish, and he goes he goes into how the fish of Christianity is a symbol for the age of Pisces, which we were coming out of and he talks about the age of Aquarius and he gets super, super, super woo woo and out there with a lot of uh, his theories, the later on you go. And uh, it's a bad place to start because it's smack in the middle of his career. Um, it's volume number nine out of uh, 18 volumes of the body of work that he wrote. So a good place to start would not be with Ion which again, it's been popularized by Jordan Peterson and people who like to passively read Young as a philosopher and not as a psychoanalytic psychiatrist. Um, I would read Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. And then Man and His Symbols is a nice little book to kind of get into. And that's where you can start to see Young piecing together uh, psychoanalysis and the unconscious with religious symbols and such. Um, and honestly, a good person to read if you want to learn more about how the unconscious relates to like spirituality and stuff like that would be Joseph Campbell. Um, he's like, he, he would be young for dummies. That would be a good way of, of putting it. Um, so I would, I would read Memories, Dreams, and Reflections if you're more interested in Young, and then start near the beginning of his career and work your way back. Don't start in the middle like a lot of people do with the shadow and uh, the animus and the anima because it can get pretty confusing. Um, and a lot of people in their normal day aren't going to have time to read it anyway. But if you're a big nerd and you want to get started, uh, start at the end of his life and then start at the beginning of his career and work your way back. And uh, it's an interesting journey to go on. But again, don't throw out Adler and don't throw out Freud because you need you need all three. You need the triangle to uh, live a fully successful life. And that's really what learning about their different theories and stuff is about is how to become a better person and become more individuated. Um, more so, yeah. So like I, I lean more towards young because I like it and I like more of the, the spirituality of it. But I also I also enjoy Adler and Freud because they have things that are just as true and applicable. Uh, some people lean one way more than another. Um, just know that you need all three. Um, and the reason that we decided to do this is one, I'm really interested in psychoanalysis and psychology and stuff like that. And it's something that we don't really talk about on a daily basis. And I think we should talk more 
about how the mind and the unconscious functions and why we do the things that we do. And that and what ultimately, us, go ahead. What makes us unique and what makes us uh, yeah. all the same. And that's, again, how we talked about the unconscious, collective unconscious with America. Like, until we, we reckon with that with ourselves and each other, that the world won't become uh, a better, happier place. We're just going to yep. keep consuming and destroying each other and the planet. And uh, it, it doesn't lead to a good end. So that's ultimately the goal of all of our discussions at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's so unnecessary. It's such a waste of resources and so much anger and, and trauma and anxiety and depression. And it's yep. like spreading like wildfire. We're all kind of nuts now. Yep. It's like if we would just embrace community, that's it. We need community. That's all. <laughs> so that's all I want to say about that. Yes, we are very... Which is why you see the polarization. Don't put me on the spot like that, man. Oh, oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> that's, that's why we see this polarization right now is because uh, we're very tribal people, and uh, we're allowing people like politicians and the media to like divide us. And really, what we need to recognize is that a lot of us are all the same. We all have different issues that we're dealing with, but if we come together and we understand ourselves better and we understand our neighbors better. Uh, eventually things can get better, but it all has to start with the self. Y'all got to start yep. looking at yourself and recognizing what parts of you need, need fixing and work and what parts of you, you should, you should bring out and share with the world. And that's, yep. that, oh, we're going to end it on a sappy note today. That's, that's awkward. Yeah. it's my that would be my anima speaking yeah my, my, it's, it's my okay man you gotta embrace it <laughs> yes all right so we're at about an hour and 10 minutes so we're gonna end it there um we'll be dropping this in a couple uh, it'd be like what this will be episode five i think so people will be seeing this in like a month you'll never right see it you might never see it we might decide never to release it um, but with any of the podcasts that we do, if you guys like certain subjects more than others, let us know. We'll try and go more in depth. We could talk more about Nietzsche. Hit the subscribe button. Make sure to like the video. <laughs> we'll see you later. <laughs> yes. Uh, any of the subjects we talk about, if you want us to go more in depth on Freud or Adler, Young, Nietzsche, whatever, give us ideas. We're, we're open to discussing and learning. I don't know what the next episode will be about. Um, we have some ideas, so I'll keep you guys in suspense for the next one. But I've been your host, Jarethar R. Blackstar. Your other host is Namwan Sakati. Uh, you can find Namwan Sakati on SoundCloud. He has some music up there. He hasn't produced anything recently, but all his stuff he has up there is uh, primo awesomeness. Uh, I have a YouTube account that I'm going to be doing some videos on the occult and spirituality and stuff like that. Weird, even more woo-woo shit. Um, maybe I'll get real creepy and, you know, draw some ritual circles and, uh, like, perform rituals and stuff. I don't know. Are you going to whip your back while wearing no shirt? No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to EA co-wedding it. Okay. I, I might light some nice candles and incense and I don't know call some yeah. spirits i don't know we'll i see. mean you're definitely gonna get some followers if you get naked and start whipping yourself yeah i don't uh. <laughs> <laughs> see. We'll, we, we will see we'll see what becomes of it. your sins 
primarily what I'm going to focus on <laughs> is basic principles of uh, magic, esotericism, and we're going to talk a lot about different uh, spiritual entities and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, that's more what I'm interested in. I don't really like I'm not, I'm not real big into pain. I'm not I'm not into inflicting yeah. pain on myself. I'm not one uh, of those people. Now, if you like doing that, that's fine. This is just get going off the rails. Um, so you can find Nam One Sakati on SoundCloud. You can find me on YouTube at Jarethar Blackstar. I'll be posting stuff at some point. Uh, and we will see you guys on the next one. Love you all. Bye. Peace out. <laughs>